Our scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Psalms, chapters 127 and 128. If you want to read along in your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 551. Again, it's Psalms 127 and 128. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Psalms 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. And again, to all of you fathers, we say happy Father's Day. Uh, for some of us here, we could say one of the greatest gifts that we've received on this earth is uh, the father that we have. And hopefully all of us can say that uh, the greatest gift that we received is the relationship that we have with the heavenly father. Uh, what a blessing it is that he adopts us into his family and he doesn't count us as strangers and he doesn't hold us afar off, but he brings us near and he calls us his children. There's a lot to be thankful for. We love children. Next week, we can prove that we love children. Uh, there are many men and women that have worked countless hours up to this point and will continue to this week. And then we'll work a lot of hours next week and then a lot of hours cleaning up from vacation Bible school. And so what we all need to be doing this week is doing whatever our part is for vacation Bible school, but everybody to be praying and everybody to be inviting. Who is it that you have that's a neighbor, that is a niece or a nephew or, or a child or a grandchild that you know that you can invite? Please be sure to have them to register online at mountjuliet.org. And we look forward and prayerfully to a great time of vacation Bible school. Also, we continue to hear such great reports from our summer faith series. It's going through 1 Corinthians this summer, images, and we've had some tremendous speakers, and that won't change Wednesday night either. Uh, the elders and deacons will be taught by the president of Heritage University, Dennis Jones, will come back, and he will do a lesson on leadership. And then here, you will be in for a great treat. I know Jesse Robertson did a tremendous job, uh, but Doug Burleson will too. He is considered one of the young scholars in the brotherhood and uh, you will love the way he can dig deeply but yet present lessons in a way that all of us can understand. We're excited about Stateside Mission Trip. Keep in mind that an information and training meeting for all those that are going will be in the fellowship hall at five o'clock this afternoon. So make your plans for that. We'd be remiss if we did not simply say thank you for such a successful 
time of photos for our family tree last week. Uh, far more photographs were taken that morning than what we ever expected. Uh, we look forward to truly having the best updated directory that we perhaps have ever had. Uh, there'll be a few other Sundays to take advantage of that. The next two Sundays will be August 4th and August 25th. So please make your plans uh, to come by from 7.30 to noon on those days. And of course, we'll be talking about that as it comes a little bit closer. When we think of blessings that God gives us, surely all of us would agree that this nation that God has blessed and prospered is truly a blessing. And we would not be wise to take it for granted. If you've not stopped, you and you and your children, fathers, you wanna do something as a Father's Day gift to yourself, Stop down here at the corner of Division and Mount Juliet Road and walk through the flags that are there that are part of Flags Day celebration. There'll be a closing ceremony this afternoon. It truly is a tremendous experience and see the yellow ribbons with those that uh, these flags are devoted to. With our nation in mind and with the theme for today, I want to remind you that President Dwight Eisenhower, one of his inaugurations, he laid his hand upon two Bibles. One was George Washington's Bible, and the other Bible was his own personal Bible that he received from West Point. Brother Burton Kaufman is a great scholar among us who is deceased now, but in recent years he lived and wrote a commentary on every verse of the Bible. He was there at one of the particular inaugurations. And he said that Eisenhower laid his hand upon an open Bible that was intentionally open to Psalm 127, the passage that we have just read, verse 1. It is a passage that not only tells us unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain who build it, but the principles have been considered not only to be principles to build a home, but to build a church, to build a community and to build a nation. It is the idea that everything that we do ought to be built, secured, and reproduced by the blessings of God. And so this morning, I look forward to going into this text here in Psalm 127 and verse one. Look at that again. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Capitalize on that for just a moment. By nature, especially men are builders. We like to build houses or computers or software or roads or boats or airplanes or you just fill in the blank. Most men enjoy building something. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, men are gonna to have to be partners with the Lord. We labor in vain who build it. Isn't it a horrible feeling the moment you realize you've put a lot of effort and energy into building something and that moment you realize, I made a mistake. Now, I don't really know if this is an actual photograph. It very well could be a hoax, but that would be a bad feeling if you were in charge of that project the moment you realize, I've messed up. But this next picture is not a hoax. This next picture, some of you will know well, and others of you will be surprised when I tell you that you're looking at a $125 million mistake. The Mars orbiter that was sent supposedly to orbit, orbit Mars in 1999, it didn't make it to its destination of orbiting Mars. After 283 days of traveling, the last time the engines would fire, bursting it into the orbit was miscalculated, and it sent this orbiter too close to the planet. 
Some say it crashed on the planet. Others said that it burst right through and now it is orbiting the sun. But what we do know, it's lost. If you adjust the inflation to today's expenses, it would be a $165 million mistake. What was the mistake? The mistake was as simple as Lockheed Martin's engineers calculated their part of the project on the English measurement system. Everyone else working on this project used the metric system of measurement. That was the only mistake. But wow, what a mistake. The article that I read about this and preparing for this, the article closed by saying, as of now, no one from Lockheed Martin has returned phone calls. I can imagine that. It's a sick feeling to realize how in the world did we make this kind of mistake? Do you see what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, unless the Lord builds the city or builds the home, you labor in vain that build it. In other words, you're going to work, you're going to work, you're going to work, and you're going to think, I've calculated everything. I've done everything the way it needs to be done. Keep in mind, you may have given your all. You may have given your best but you do it without the Lord, you will wake up one day and say, what have I done? This is a tragedy. What a mistake. Before we go back to Psalm 127, as we think about building, I'd like for you to drop back to Genesis. And we're going to land for just a moment in Genesis, the 11th chapter. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of God, the ultimate builder. You remember how the Bible begins, the very first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created. God built the heavens and the earth. And then we see also in that chapter and in the following chapter that God made man, not the animals, man after his image. You see the very aspect that we want to build things that are constructive, things that are productive, things that show order and they are an advantage to our living, that literally is a reflection of the God that we serve. Now, how do we see this? Well, it's, it's so simple. You, you almost hate to even illustrate it. But if you want to illustrate it, you go to Genesis, the sixth chapter. When God wanted to destroy the earth, but he wanted to preserve some humans and some animals, what did he do? Did he go to the elephant and say, elephant, I want you to build this boat. You think I'm being silly. I'm not being silly. Why didn't he go to the cow? Why didn't he go to the dog? Because they don't have within them being created after the image of God. There is something about mankind that we too like to build. And what God is showing us from the beginning of the Bible to the middle of the Bible to the end of the Bible is that you and I can build productive lives. We can build wonderful families. We can build strong church families. We can build wonderful communities. We can build a great nation as long as we're willing to partner with God. We can't build any of those things the way they need to be built without God. There will come a time that we will realize either now or into eternity, we will realize I made a horrible mistake. In Genesis, the 11th chapter, we see the nature of man wanting to build. Here it is the Tower of Babel. There aren't a ton of details in this. In other words, there's a lot more questions that we could ask that we do not have answers to, but we know these basic principles about the Tower of Babel. We know that they did not build because it was God's instruction. 
They were not doing this as a directive from God. And God was not blessing it. Instead, God called them out on it and God destroyed the mission that they wanted. And so that we know. So now let's go back and let's see the three times in two verses that they say, let us. Because you see, they wanted to build something without partnering with God. And notice how it didn't work out well. Look at verse three. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What's the problem here? Notice the emphasis. Where in this story did they say, let us partner with God and let us build something that is spiritual? They didn't say that. They said, let us build. And literally in this translation, they say, let us build with brick and mortar. Do you realize how many fathers today? They'll sit in the back of a large estate with three-story house in front of them, four or five bay garage. They'll look over a lake and they'll see the toys that they've given their kids and they'll see the rides they've given their kids and they'll think about the retirement that they have back and they will say to themselves, I've been a good father. As if bricks and mortar, toys and possessions make a good father. Listen, we talk a lot about for elders. It's not caring for brick and mortar. It's caring for souls. Listen, the same thing is true for fathers. Whether or not you're a great father has nothing to do with how many possessions you can provide. It has to do with what kind of direction have you offered for the soul. And notice, he, he not only talked about the bricks and the mortar, but they talked about, let us build a city. In other words, we want to build this city the way we want our city to be built. They didn't pause to ask the most important question. God, how do you want our civilization to be? How many today are not pausing and saying, God, how is it that you want our family to be? As a husband, as a father, what do you ask of me, God? I'm not building my family, I'm building your family. And then notice that third thing. They wanted to create a name for themselves. You see that arrogance? You see that pride? They were not saying, let us build something that gives God the glory. Let's make sure that as husbands and as fathers, that we recognize that when we say, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. If we are concentrating on bricks and mortar and possessions, and that's the high priority in our life, we've missed it. If we're concentrating on how we want it to be built and not God, we've missed it. If we concentrated on building ourselves up instead of building God up in the lives of children, we have missed it. But now notice as we go to that Psalm 127 and 1 again, I want to remind you of that second half. The first half is the Lord builds. The second half is that the Lord guards the city. We have an enemy. 
And, and notice he says, the watchman stays awake in vain. He's not saying that the watchman doesn't try to guard it. In other words, he's not saying, hey, your city's going to be destroyed because your watchman doesn't care. He's saying your watchman can go up and stand in the tower and he can watch. But if he is not in a partnership with God, still the enemy will conquer that city. Listen, we can say, I want to protect my family. I want, I want to lead my family the way they need to be led. But if I leave God out of that equation of how to build and how to protect, if I leave God out, all of my labor is in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. I'm going to wake up and say, how did I make a mistake like this? When we see marriages and families and relationships between parents and children strained today, there are almost always one, if not two or three of four things that are always talked about. This morning, I just want to remind you, we do not have time to develop them, but I want to remind you that if we will obey God, He will protect us from these things. In other words, when we look at 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verse eight, we read that Satan is our enemy and he's like a lion and he's seeking to destroy us. But we back up in verse six, he says, if we live under the mighty hand of God, he will protect us. In other words, are we willing to live under God's mighty hand? Number one, when we say as a husband and as a father, I am devoted to sexual purity myself and I will encourage my wife and lead her in every way that I can. And I will raise children that will have this kind of devotion in their life morally also. Listen, we live in a world that doesn't respect this. And if fathers do not expect their children and do not place boundaries around their children and do not talk straight to their children on this, this is where we let the enemy creep in. First Corinthians 6 and 18, flee sexual immorality. When we are fleeing, it's the idea of running from something that is dangerous. How much are we fleeing? Number two, Luke 12 and 15 reminds us that if we'll listen to God, he'll guard us financially. We do better individually and as families when we're financially stable. And what gets us off kilter is whenever we allow covetous and greed to rule our life. Luke 12 and 15, he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Can you agree with this? I'm not talking about verbally. I'm talking about in the way you live and in your heart. Can you agree with this? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I'm amazed sometimes how people will brag about their children because their children have gone on into great wealth. And at the same time they've gone into great wealth, they have completely left God. Listen, that's nothing to boast of. A man's life doesn't consist of what he owns. If your child lives in a million dollar mansion and someone else's child lives in a $50,000 home somewhere, this one has not achieved something greater unless the relationship with God is right and this one isn't. Listen, our life has nothing to do with what we can pile up. Can we even grasp the idea as Americans? Can we even grasp the idea that there are a lot of wise people that have no desire at all to be wealthy or to obtain more possessions? Can we even grasp that? I want to challenge our, our young people, our 20-somethings, our young families. Do you realize the wisdom in not chasing possessions? 
As a matter of fact, it is hard to biblically prove that you are wise when your goal is more money and more possessions. That is so quick to turn us into covetous people and to greedy people. Let's look at this next teaching. This next teaching in Matthew, the sixth chapter, same topic, but think about the heart. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the problem is moth and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Now that doesn't happen. Verse 20 in heaven. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is our heart? Wherever our treasure is, where's our treasure? Is our heart set upon saying, God, I'm a husband, I'm a father. And I want to take who I am and I want to lay it at your feet and I want to be everything you want me to be. And the family that I lead, I want to lead them everywhere you want them to lead. You have a lot to be thankful for today if you grew up in a home where your dad never brought things into your home that they couldn't afford to pay for. You're blessed. You're blessed today if you grew up in a home where it was clear to you every moment of every day that your father loved the Lord more than he loved any possession. You're blessed. And perhaps in America, you might even be a rarity. I want to challenge, I want to challenge fathers here today to recognize that you will not find a child that says they would rather have more possessions and less of dad. Financial stability is not some kind of earthly wisdom. Financial Stability is a gift from God as we follow his protection. Good communication is also something that's absolutely necessary. First Peter 3 and 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Talking about with your wives, dwell with them in understanding. Someone says, how can I understand my wife? Well, the Lord tells us how. I want you to go home. I want you to live there. Dwell with them. And I, you have a purpose for living there. Dwell with them with understanding. Do you go home to listen? You cannot have a strong relationship with someone you will not listen to and seek to understand. The same thing is taught indirectly in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse four, where he says to fathers and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, do you listen to your children? Children, do you realize that rules without relationships breeds anger and rebellion? I'll say it again. Rules without relationships breeds anger and rebellion. God says, do not provoke your children to anger. Listen, when we take the time to listen to our children and we take the time to hear where they are today, it helps us know how we can help them be where they are today to where they need to become tomorrow. We can't do that if we won't listen. Good communication is a way God says, I want to teach you how to guard your home. Think how many teenagers in America right now are struggling with things that their father knows nothing about because he simply will not listen. But think about the relationships where the child is struggling with something and the father is listening, the father cares, and the father is walking with their child through it. That's God's plan. But then we talk about a balanced life. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Look at a balanced life. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the bondage or the power of any. 
What's he talking about there? He's talking about addictive things. We want to guard our life and we want to guard our family. Keep addiction out of our life. Keep balance in our life. And God says, here's the rule of thumb. I want you to stop and ask yourself, as you do something, Father, is this an advantage for the family or is this a disadvantage? Is this going to help the relationship with my wife or is this going to hurt the relationship? Is this going to help my relationship with my children or is it going to hurt? We need to keep anything out of our life that's not an advantage. And then literally, that that would be brought under the power. We can only have one master. And God says, I'm not going to share my mastery with an addiction. I'll either be the master or you can let the addiction be the master, but it cannot be shared. Now, that takes us back again to our passage of Psalm 127. And as we go back there, I'd like for you to think about verse three, four, and five as he talks about children. Now think about where we've been. We've been to God saying, let me help you build. We've been to God saying, let me help you protect. And now God is saying, let me help you place the proper value system on your family. Isn't it interesting the various descriptions here in these three verses about children? Keep in mind, in a time where perhaps children were not greatly appreciated. The value was not placed upon them as it should be. And yet look at these words that, that God uses to describe children. He calls them in verse three, a heritage. And in verse four, and notice he says they are a heritage. And in verse four, he says they are like eras. And in verse five, he says, happy is the man whose quiver is full of children. What is he saying? He's saying children are a gift from God. They're an inheritance. They are a possession given from God. And then he says, they're like what? Now, it may seem strange to us, but in the Hebrew poetry, it was more common to call children eras because it's the idea that if a young man is going into battle and he reaches over on his side to his quiver and he has his quiver full of eras, he has a lot of confidence and a lot of advantage in war. If he is about to go into war and he reaches back and there are no quivers there, that man is in great trouble. And so it's easy to see the imagery is to say this man has great blessings when he has many arrows. And so it's that simple. It's that simple. The imagery is, but we say, what is God trying to say? God is trying to say children are a blessing from God. God thinks a world of children. God loves children. God would say, I want you to receive them. I want you to go all out for them. I want you to protect them. I want you to raise them up. I want you and me, fathers, God is saying, I want you and me to be partners. Let's build them up. Let's protect them. They're valuable. As a matter of fact, that last thing that, that he would talk about there is that he says, they'll make you happy. You know, we rarely do this and we only did it for about 15 minutes the other day. But, uh, Tracy and I put in a little video when the children were small. And Emily was about a year old in her high chair and Colton and Lacey were running around. And you know what we did watching that the whole time. We did what probably many of you do when you look back on your children. The whole time we said, look at that, look. And we'd laugh. Oh yeah, remember she said, yeah. And we'd laugh. Isn't it interesting how we look back on our children and we can't help but smile? We can't help but laugh. God says, not only am I giving you a valuable gift, I'm giving you one that if you value the gift, it's going to bring a lot of joy and a lot of happiness into your life. So where does this bring us? I know we're out of time, but I'd just like for you to see this. 
it would be easy to say about Psalm 127. See, that's all we do as parents. We just set back. God's the one that does the building. God's the one that does the protecting. And God's the one that does the giving. And he says, oh no. Go to 128. In Psalm 128, he says in verse 2, I'd like for you to see that the word your is in here three times. In verse 2, we have, and he's talking to fathers. He, he wants to talk in verse 2 about your hands. And in verse 3, he wants to talk about your wife. And at the end of verse 3, he wants to talk about your children. And so what he says in verse 2, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. We've raised up a generation in America where, where we have a generation of men that do not want to eat the labor of their hands. They want to eat the labor of someone else's hands. And you look anywhere that is happening, that is a setting that creates irresponsible men, homes where the men are absent. And every time, every time, it creates an increase of crime. It creates an increase in the juvenile courts. It creates an increase in the school problems and on and on. You probably know this, but if you don't, let me state something that we understand as Christians that much of the rest of the world doesn't understand. Many times when groups come together in poverty and they live closely together, for example, if it's an inner city, and someone says, well, what's the problem there? And someone says, the problem there is that it's a poverty-stricken area. It's, it's an inner city, and that's the problem. Listen, the location where you live is not the problem. The reason the problem is, exists in that situation is because the men have stopped being workers. They've stopped being workers in their community. They've stopped being workers as a husband. They've stopped being workers as a father. It is a huge task that God asks of men to say, I want you to go out and I want you to make a living. And when you get in in the evening, I want you to work hard at being a good husband. And when you feel like you can't go anymore and your sixth grader walks up to you and says, Dad, I need help with math tonight. I want you to dig deeper and I want you to work hard to be a good father. It is irresponsibility of men that is killing America. We can never let that standard become common in the church. God's plan is to say, I'll partner with you. I'll help you build. I'll help you protect. And I'll give you great gifts. But men, you roll up your sleeves and you work. And if you'll do that, you will enjoy and you will be pleasing to God. And then he talks about your wife and he calls the wife a vine. And there's not a much more pretty metaphor. And I know that may sound strange, but it's a beautiful metaphor. And we don't have time to develop all the reasons that is beautiful. But if you think about a vineyard that's well kept, and if you've ever driven by a vineyard that's well kept, you immediately know how beautiful it is. You also know how productive it is. You know how desirable it is, but you know that there's something powerful why he chose this metaphor. A vine cannot stand on its own. It must have support. And so he uses the idea that the husband and the wife were never designed to stand alone, but they support each other. And so he looks over and he says, that's your wife. She, she is your vineyard. And notice where she is. She's in the heart of the home. Listen, 
the genders are not the same. God expects the wife to be the very nurturing center of the home. God expects her heart to always be at home. God expects her to be the heart of the home. Literally, that's the words here. And what are the children? He paints this picture of an olive tree. And a cultivated olive tree will have sprouts of the branches coming up all under it. And you know what he says? He says, your wife is like the vineyard, but your children, they're sprouting right under the care of the mother and the father. They're sprouting up all over. And the result of that in verse five is the blessings will flow out of Zion. Zion was the place in verse five of, of worship. For us today, it's the blessings that flow out of the church. Many of us could not put into words what the church has meant to raising our children. And then finally, in verse six, he says, and you will see your children's children. It's the idea that this gift that you've seen in your children, it'll be perpetuated into the next generation. What we learned today. Man loves to build even his homes. The real worth is when he partners with God. God thinks the world of children and godly fathers do too. The heart of the house is a woman who is loved and supported by her husband. Let's not waste our life. Unless the Lord builds it, we build in vain. Unless the Lord protects it, we stay awake in vain. This morning, the greatest gift, as I said in the beginning, is for us to be adopted into God's family and have Him as our Heavenly Father. Can we help you in any way as you come to the Father? If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, or if you want to be restored,